Hello and welcome to Such a Nightmare Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Hi there. This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited and very, very thankful to have you joining us for our episode on Jordan Peele's 2019 film, Us. I'd like to share the story of us and us. Oh my gosh, I thought we were leaving puns in the last episode, but now I see we're here. It's here, they're here to stay. That's right. Strong and hard. The pun will be strong with this one. Oh, very good. The story of us and us. It's like a dumb and dumber. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It kind of felt that way at moments. Was that both Anthony and I were super excited about Jordan Peele's Us because oh, yes. we had loved so very fully Get Out and we were sort of like, what next, what next, what next? Jordan Peele can do no wrong. And the trailers for Us looked so intriguing mm-hmm. and we knew the acting was going to have to like almost by default be amazing. And then we watched the movie. Yeah. And... If you couldn't tell based on the way we're already kind of setting this up, we were less than impressed. I don't know. It, yeah, it, I, fe- I feel that's like a, a harsh, sounds harsher than it is. It's not that we were just less than impressed, although there is some of that. It's that we were just really saddened because we'd hoped for so much and we had felt like it had let us down. And the movie, for so much of it, had promised so much. Yes. And the problem with this and the, and the reason that Anthony and I... The, the us part of the story of us and us is that this is the film that's been really well received and so we got together and it was almost like so what did you think of us and i think like i know i was probably like bracing myself to have you be like it was so amazing because here's something you need to know anthony and i have very little overlap between what we like in terms of it, it is so true it is so rare that we can that we can talk about a movie or see a movie that we're both going to enjoy Yes, and I think the exception we have found are horror films, particularly horror comedy. But honestly, when I saw it and I knew I was going to talk to Anthony, I was like, well, if I disliked it or if I had as much problem with it, he's just going to love it because the (laughs) critical reception has been so positive. And I'm sure he probably thought the same, that if he disliked it, I was probably going to really like it. I was was like, oh, no, I don't know how much of a hot take I can bring in. I don't don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and, and so when we got together and we were like, I didn't really like it, it just, it was very... Affirming. Like, yeah, it was affirming and it was freeing. And it was also the genesis of, of what you're listening to now, mm-hmm. of our podcast, because we realized that we were in agreement on actually several films where even if we weren't, you know, even if we didn't have the exact same thoughts on the film, we were in agreement in a minority. Exactly. And which led us to coming up with kind of the structure of this podcast, which is films that should work and for many people did work but didn't work for us, or films that shouldn't work, but for us do. And so we try to use that framework throughout um, our episodes and and to think about films where we can offer that sort of dissenting, be it positive or negative, voice. And that leads us directly into our discussion on Jordan Peele's Us. But before we get into the film proper, I think it only right to begin with a little bit of academic framework. Part of the reason I want to have academic framework for us specifically is that this is a film that 
felt so very much for the first 45 minutes or so, like he had reached into my soul and like pulled out the heart of my dissertation and was just like, here it is in one film. And so... You were watching the tethered version of your dissertation. I was, right? <laughs> because in my dissertation, which came out before um, us, I talk about untethering. Did you get a screenplay, right? Uh, like a nod from Jordan Peele? I then? wish. I mean, it felt like, it felt honestly, and I know there's no way, right? Why would he read anyone's dissertation, let alone mine? <laughs> but it felt like he had pulled from it because there were concepts about like what it means to be American in terms of place, the concept of the untethering and all of that stuff. And so... Us is a film where you can tell that Peel is thinking through things critically and whether or not he's reading horror scholarship, his texts are still both uh, Get Out and Us working nicely. So the framework that I wanted to use for this episode is a sort of like long-standing understanding of the importance and value of horror. Oh boy, we're getting a history lesson today. I know, it's exciting. Woo! So this comes to us from Robin Wood, who is recognized as one of the sort of early forefathers, if you will, of horror scholarship who said, wait, 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 it doesn't matter if there's a lot of blood and guts. Maybe it's important. Maybe we should be studying it. Mm. And so I think as horror scholars, as horror thinkers, we owe a lot to him. Mm. As much as blood and guts is very important. It's so important, right? Because he says, set aside the blood and guts. Oh, what we're really doing fine, is... Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> that... To, and this is a quote from him, that to study the evolution of a genre is to study the evolution of a national unconsciousness. And so he traces how, in specific, he's looking at 1970s slasher films, are talking about fears and concerns related to the dominant culture, mm -hmm. to counterculture, to the Vietnam War, to uh, eventually, as we get into the 80s, Reagan The Reagan administration. Yes, exactly. There are other later scholars like Linda Holland Toll who say, you know, this is why horror is important because it is either serving to create a sort of affirmative model or she says in her argument in as American as mom baseball and apple pie that horror actually kind of creates this dis-ease um, that is concerning and alarming because we see that the thing that is under the, the sheet, right, is our community, our family, our sense of, of self. Mm -hmm. And within this framework, there are two different camps. Yeah, so Linda Hollentoll is very clearly in the more disaffirmative camp, right? Because she's talking about the disease and she's saying that, you know, it oftentimes problematizes our sense of culture and, and pokes holes at the things that people are sort of clinging to. And then the other side is more affirmative. And so it's... Ah, it's the other side of disaffirmative is affirmative. Know, Who would have guessed? I know, magic. So clever. I know. <laughs> it's just amazing how that works, right? Wow. Because, and it is, it's it's very simple, right? Because it's really the opposite. Um, and I think that's why it's nice that it's like not a completely different word because... <laughs> that would have been far more confusing. Yeah, it absolutely would Much have. harder to remember. Yes. So this just remember that affirmative is like very conservative, not politically speaking, but conservative in terms of at the end of the day, it's supporting the status quo. Think Stephen King. This is the way we want the world to work. And this is kind of what Stephen King often says is that horror allows us to sort of return back to the normal, to how things were before, um, as opposed to disaffirmative, which is more like maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with our culture and that's why we're having things that are horrific. And it's kind of like you deserved it, and there's nothing you can do to get around it. Exactly. And Us situates itself so nicely because it is a text that allows for readings a little bit both ways, depending on I, oh yeah. what you want to go with. But no matter what, it's definitely at the heart of the national unconsciousness, and that's something that Jordan Peele's really good at. Jordan Peele is someone who is very good at capturing the cultural zeitgeist and kind of just tapping into it. 
particularly here in America, where he's from. Jordan Peele was born in New York City in 1979 and raised in the Upper West Side. Interestingly enough, he grew up in a biracial family, uh, which, as he says, that means the world wanted him to speak in a different way than he spoke, which is what led to a lot of his, his comedy and his later works. He says, I speak like my mom. I speak like the whitest white dude. I speak like a deaf comedy jam comedian doing an impression of a white guy. Which, I mean, I guess you can kind of see in a lot of his comedy, which is very, very race-related and pointing to I, I, these cultural fears about race and the other and different things, and trying to fit societal expectations for what they want you to do. And he's looking at those issues long before he ever gets to get out. He's looking at them in Key and Peele. Oh, absolutely, with uh, his partner on that show, Keegan-Michael Key, which ran from 2012 to 2015. He played with uh, various tropes to highlight these cultural and social anxieties in a lot of their sketches on the show. And as Vox points out, uh, one of these sketches that they feature on the show is called The Hoodie. And all that happens in The Hoodie is a black man in a hoodie walks through a white neighborhood, but it's played for laughs. That's the whole thing. A lot of the themes and the tone come up again in Peele's later work, Get Out, in 2017, which is directly a horror film. And if we go back to this idea that, you know, that we're touching on this national unconsciousness, you don't have to look far to see that this theme of, like, what happens when we have spaces, quote, invaded um, by the other, in this case, the mm-hmm. black male, right? That's coming Wait, I mean, up. And you can also apply this to any other group, Absolutely. like political party, if you want to make it broader to immigrants. I mean, there are lots of us versus them categorizations. Absolutely. And it reminds me of, there's a really interesting essay by a gentleman named Brent Staples called Just Walk On By, where he says that um, as a black man with insomnia in the city, he learned that if he was going to walk at night, that he needed to hum or whistle classical music because Mm. otherwise he felt like he was creating this threatening presence simply, quote, by being, right? And so he was very cognizant of that. And these are themes that are playing out in Get Out as Mm -hmm. well as in Us. Yes, because in Get Out, uh, his 2017 film, it took that idea of the suburbia masking dark secrets and applied it to the exploitation of the black experience in America. It was a critique on white liberalism and a lot of these things that are just, as you were saying, under the sheet. Yes. Very much a kind of disaffirmative film with an affirmative twist at the end. Yes. So we just paused in the middle of recording because we realized that we're not maybe in total agreement about what Get Out is doing. So we're going to actually put a pin in that and return to Get Out in its entire own episode um, and just say that this is a film that is smart. It is a film that is playing with disaffirmative and Mm -hmm. affirmative things. um, And it is a film that set up for us a lot of expectations. Oh, yeah. It was nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay and Best Actor. And it actually got Peel his first uh, Academy Award win and the first win for an African-American in the Best Original Screenplay category. Peel went on to then produce several other projects, The Last OG, Black Klansman, which was also nominated for Academy Awards, Weird City, and The Twilight Zone. All of this leading up to us in 2019. Unsurprisingly, considering how well he had been doing uh, with his success out of Get Out, Us was a film that was relatively well received. Uh, relatively is putting it mildly. 
it is got overwhelming critical acclaim. It's at a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, from the critics and 81% on the Metacritic. However, this even the film's reviews in terms of critics and audiences are tethered mm. because the Rotten Tomatoes score from audience is only a 61 and on the Metacritic it is a 6.5 and the cinema score from audiences is a B. I, I like that, and, and we're going to do it a lot. This idea of, of kind of talking about the tethering and untethering that, like, <laughs> effect, right, if yeah. you will, of us. Because this is something that caught our attention, is that this is a real critical darling, but it's not, like you said, necessarily well-received by the non-critic um, audience. Yeah. And, and this is something to kind of think about carefully because of, I think, the sort of, again, tethered, untethered effect of the film itself. The first time we watched this film... You know, we had high expectations going in. We were saddened as it kind of ended because it didn't do the things we had anticipated or hoped for. Right. The second time we watched it, we had the exact same experience. Except I would say it was a little bit worse for me because upon that second rewatch, the first half of the film was so much better than I remembered it. I think because I had had the film kind of tainted by the second half. So when I went in and I rewatched the first half, it was even better. Yeah. So I remember thinking very clearly when we were rewatching it about even like 30 minutes in, I was like, oh no, we're actually not going to be able to have this episode be a critical one. Oh, same, same. And I was like, okay, well, what are our options? Because if ever there is a first somewhere between like 15 and 45 minutes, depending. Yeah. Um, minutes of film that should be shown in every single film class, I would argue that it's that opening of us. Oh, I I absolutely agree 100%. And we're talking, I am talking specifically about the one of the cold openings yes. at the amusement park. And I say one of because there are four cold openings in this film, which should have been an indicator to audiences that this film may be a bit jumbled and kind of a bit of a grab bag. Yeah, so a cold opening is something that that feels like it's there to kind of shock you awake, right? Um, Like with cold water. And then it may or may not fully come back to that. If it does, it's going to be a while. It's not going to be a natural, like, narrative progression through the story. It's like in a sitcom. The first two and a half minutes are usually just a gag that doesn't have any relation to the rest of the story. And that's how Us begins. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. And so we have four cold openings in the film. And and we'll just kind of get them out of the way and tell you what they are in case you don't remember. And then talk about hands down, the best one. The first one is? It is the words on the screen which indicate that this world, there's an underground system of tunnels. And that this is part of America, right? That in America there are all of these unused tunnels that exist. Exactly. The second one is the sort of on the TV screen, the hands across America Mm -hmm. that we briefly see and it kind of reminds us that we're going to be temporarily like in the 80s. Um, And of course that's going to come back very explicitly uh, towards the end of the film. The third cold opening is at the amusement park, which we will talk about in great detail in just a second. And the fourth one's the rabbits with the super intense music. And that is admittedly also when the the opening credits are playing. But it, it isn't it counts as a as a cold open. Absolutely it does. So we're gonna come back to the four openings um, in a minute, but let's talk about that amusement scene. Mm. Oh, it would amuse me so much. Ha ha. So this scene is I would say a masterclass in how film should be made. 
and it shows a level of sophistication that I had come to expect from Jordan Peele, and it gave me such high hopes going into this film, and honestly may have set me up for, with unrealistic expectations. I think that's, that's a very accurate assessment. So with Get Out, I knew he was a good storyteller. I knew he was a good like filmmaker because it's a good film, but in that sequence in, in Us, the amusement park sequence, I realized that he is a, like, like you said, master filmmaker. Mm-hmm. This is someone that understands, and I, this is a real challenge, I think, for filmmakers, to understand that film is not just a narrative-based medium, it is a visual-based one. Exactly. Because he does things with the camera, with uh, just the shot composition, the editing, the music, and every single performance in there that he's able to get reach into the actor's soul and drag out of them in these scenes is incredible. And I think about... Um, his eye for framing there are several moments in that scene where he has things framed perfectly symmetrically like when the little girl is framed in the doorway Mm -hmm. we see the lightning behind her we see the fun house on either side of the doorway i mean it is just amazing and he is working at night which is a hard time to film and to have it still be as visually arresting and colorful as it is and yet he just he's amazing in those first seven to ten And then where I knew he actually was a sophisticated horror director was when we go into the funhouse and there's the perfect opportunity to give a cheap, easy jump scare. Uh, And dear listeners, I'm not a fan of the cheap, easy jump scare. I love it so much. I know you do. I know. I love to be scared more than just about anything. And like, you could scare me. If you came in every day with your mission being to scare me, I would just be like, <laughs> like it would make my life so happy. But, but it has to be well done first off. And second, it has to be done with the awareness that that is not true horror. Exactly. And Peel knows, knows that. that because he does not give you the jump scare when the little girl, uh, it's later revealed, sees the tethered version of herself in the funhouse. He, he could have very easily done a boom jump scare and then go into the, the next cold opening o- slash opening titles, but he doesn't do that. And so what I like is that there is that like little bitty jump scare with the owl right coming mm-hmm. out. So he's like, okay, there are two types of horror. There's the horror we think about, which is the cheap tricks. And then he says, and then there's the horror that we need to be thinking about. And he communicates that, right? Without saying a word, he's able to communicate that. And I think you're right that one of the things it does is it sets up for such almost impossible expectations because those minutes are are flawless. Mm-hmm. And so before we go into really what we dislike a lot about this film, let's talk about some of the other good elements in this film. The performances are amazing across the board. Lupita Nyong'o is just, I'm using the word masterclass a lot and that masterful, but it's because it's the right word. She does the duality of man, in this case, woman, so incredibly well. Yes. You know, you hear a lot about when actors have to play like doppelganger type characters, how challenging that is for them because essentially they're doing twice the performance in one time. Or like uh, in that one Eddie Murphy movie where he plays the entire family. Yeah. Such challenging work for an actor. Exactly. I mean, it really is, even when it's a super (laughs) goofy film, right? And in this case, we see just how good these actors can be because they are having to be 
they're tethered and untethered versions of themselves. And so we're not just talking about a change in costume. I mean, we're talking about a change in physicality, mm-hmm. a change in, in voice, a change in vo- vocal patterns. Um, and I know some people kind of laughed in, the, you know, yeah. d- in the audience. In my screening, people were laughing at... Uh particularly Winston Duke's character when he did the roar yes. type of thing. But I think it, it's fitting for showing that it's not just that they have different experiences, it's that they actually communicate differently. And the actors show us that very evocatively. So I mentioned Winston Duke. He also is very good. He brings a lot of levity. And he, I mean, his physical presence is very powerful. And his comedic timing is just as good. And this is something else that I want to praise Jordan Peele for. Because I think all... Am I going to say all? Mm, Are no, you? I'm not. I don't know what your sentence is, so I don't know, I know. if I I'm can agree with you. I'm going to say 95% of horror should have comedic elements. Mm. I think that there's a good 5%. So, for example, um, the 2008 film Martyrs probably should not have had... Um, any levity in it and we will get to that in a later episode um but i think that with you know a few exceptions horror should have comedy because it is its doppelganger they they bring up very similar uh emotions within you i mean horror and comedy both are addressing uh these kind of like untouchable elements in society that without them there to break that ice those conversations may not be had Yes. Comedy does it by making you laugh at that thing. Horror does it by making you deadly afraid of that thing. And so to, to like throw in a, a sort of horror metaphor, um, think about in The Shining, right? Like that he has to like let off some of the steam from the valve in the overlook so that it doesn't explode. Both horror, those moments that you were scared, and comedy, those moments where you are filled with like joy, are ways that we relieve some of the pressure of our society of our experiences of our lives um so that our hotel metaphorically does not explode <laughs> explode and peel knows that and he shows us that throughout the film and he just has there's really good like he knows when it should be funny when it needs to be serious and that's something that i look forward to seeing him do again in his future productions but but the problem of the film i should have realized in retrospect from the start because of the use of four cold openings. Mm-hmm. This is a film that seems to have a lot of things that it wants to do, and it does so at the expense of remembering that we do need a little bit of unity. Scholars and theorists have known for centuries, right, and that there should be some sort of unity of action, place, time, and of course you see that especially in like Greek theater. I mean, yeah, Aristotle talks about that. Yeah, <laughs> but... There's some truth to it, right? That you need to have something sort of cohesive binding it all together. I don't know about that because I've got a quote here from Jordan Peele that says that may not be the best way to do it. Uh, Jordan Peele says in an interview on EmpireOnline.com, he says, It's so satisfying to me in a horror movie when a question is answered, but it only really remains scary if the answer raises new questions. You walk into this movie thinking, is this a supernatural thing? And there's part of it that is supernatural. This idea of the soul and the magic side of it. But I wanted to have a moment where she declares pretty early on without saying these words, look, we're from here. We're human beings that are from this soil. Which, of course, you go on to find out. Oh, yes, they are. They're just underneath it. I think us can apply to anyone, human beings in general, your family, your country. And so for me, it was my country and the duality of our society. And I I agree with 
the heart of what he's saying there. I think that a good horror film does raise more questions. But I think that When you lift up the sheet... Exactly. It's one thing, but also another sheet. Exactly. Yeah, like, it's the it's the evil version of a Russian nesting doll, right? Like, it just kind of, like, works. Um, we were like, what's going to be... When's it going to show? Um, but the problem is, is that I, instead of having, like, one body with the sheets that keep coming off and you're like, when am I going to find the body? Oh dear heavens. There's multiple bodies yeah. with sheets on There's it. There's multiple bodies and maybe not even bodies, right? Like under one of them might be a kitten and under another one might be like... Supernatural being. Yeah. And other, another, and under another one is just America. Yeah. And I, I just, I think that when you do that, you run the risk of losing sight of this idea that you kind of do need to have a source of horror and that the source of horror can be multifaceted and it should absolutely be complex, but it should be definable in some ways. Uh, Jordan Peele talks a lot in his interviews about how he doesn't want uh, viewers to really question the mythology of us, but he just insists that the explanations exist beyond what is seen in this film and so Peel just really wants you to just kind of go with it. Which only gets you so far, Peel. It does. It only gets you about 45 minutes in. It does. Because that's... For, we disagree on the point and the breaking point of this film. I think it gets up to about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And this is the scene in which uh, these characters, uh, of Adelaide, Gabe, and Zora and Jason, their children, mm-hmm. have gone to their friend's beach house and they're watching this all of this stuff unfolding on the television screen there and that is the moment when i realized that this movie may not know where it's going because we've already seen that incredible scene at their house where all of the doppelgangers approach and i was like i was willing to go with peel there and i was like this is a little early to have this confrontation particularly with the large exposition dump that uh red drops on Ad- on Adelaide, but I was willing to go with it. Yeah, so I, I know that um, for several people, it, it really was about this idea that the tension broke too early. Again, I was willing to go there because I assumed that 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 was going to happen because we were going somewhere else, and we did go somewhere else, right? It's just I'm not sure that where we went made sense with the rest of the film. Exactly. Um, for me, the real point where it just was the point of, of no return where I realized that this wasn't going to quite do what I think it should have done, and what I would like to argue that Peel is capable of doing, mm-hmm. was the moment that we descended down that escalator into the actual physical location where the uh, other people live. Exactly. Because at that point, like you said, although Peel wants us to just sort of dismiss any questions that we have about the mythos, and to understand that he knows the answers and that's enough, I found myself asking lots of questions like, okay, well, how do they get water? What happens when you're, you cross the ocean and your, does your doppelganger go with you? Like, it's suddenly, the moment we descended on the escalator was the moment it became a government conspiracy theory film. Mm-hmm. And at that moment... Which, only- again, Peel does kind of justify early on in the film with that throwaway line about the fluoride in the water. Yes, yes. In retrospect, there is foreshadowing for almost everything that he does. All of the little elements that he plants. In yes, there. it's just that it doesn't quite make sense because so much of it has been about the sort of metaphysical horror, and now all of a sudden it's like, okay, but if it's a government conspiracy, we need to talk some logistics because mm-hmm. I'm all for having a government conspiracy as a source of horror, but only if I know what I'm supposed to be scared of. Am I supposed to be scared that the just 
there are things that the government does? Or am I supposed to be scared that the government has actually managed to be so organized that it, it has this whole like system in place? And I don't know, because the film doesn't let me know what I'm supposed to be afraid of. It really there. wants to have its cake, eat it too, and also have cupcakes. Yes. Yes, Beca- and, and I and by the time we get to the cupcakes, I'm I'm full, right? Like, and I, exactly. I didn't want to eat the cake anyway. Because, like you like what you were saying, this film, it clearly wants to operate on some type of a metaphor thing. What that metaphor is is kind of unclear. You could, I think, that there is an argument for classism, and obviously, like the upper, literally on the upper part of the earth, and the low and the lower class. I mean. You could also argue about the duality of the black experience in America, which is clearly an issue that is very important to Peel. Or it could also just be even more simple, uh, how he's talked about in interviews. It's just like the real enemy is looking us in the mirror. But it also, like you're saying, wants to operate on a science, more science fiction level of horror with the government experience, experiment and the fluoride in the water. And then it also kind of wants to operate on this magic level of horror. Yeah, and, and you know, in in a film that's not going to be, you know, like, ten hours long, I just don't think you can do that. Like, I love the concept. I think it's really interesting to say that you could have the same story and have it be multiple sources of fear depending on how you take it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would love to see a, a like, TV show that it's the same storyline in each episode. It's just, now we're going to look at the same story, but we're going to make it about class. Now we're going to look at this exact same story, but make it about race. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that would be super intriguing as, like, an experiment. But you can't do it all at one time in one film without it just feeling very jumbled and a little bit confused. The film itself feels tethered. It is two parts. I would say the first half is this good. It's this ideal, very, I would say, a near-perfect level of tension building, and the writing and performances is strong. It features that sequence in the amusement park, which I think is incredible. But, like the tethered in Jordan Peele's Us, there is the bad doppelganger, which is the last 45 minutes of this film, in which all the good just seemingly is ignored. And gets really messy. It does. And honestly, I would argue that some of the messiness is the result of Peel's success. Because who is going to be the person that's going to be like, hello, Mr. Peel, I know you just won an Oscar, but I just wanted to kind of point out that this film is a little bit bloated. <laughs> okay, then, right? Like, no one's going to be that person. Yeah, because that person got fired, I would imagine. Yeah, that person would absolutely <laughs> be fired. You can't tell Jordan Peele, the guy who's literally just won an Academy Award for writing a horror film, that his horror film is messy. Yeah, no, that's like, that is that is a, just don't do that, right? That is like a suicide work move. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is, it is sort of true. And, and perhaps, honestly, we wouldn't have been so upset by it if we hadn't seen that he's capable of giving not just what we want, but what we need in order to understand this deeper level of, of and horror. His, and he acknowledges that he knows these cultural fears, these deep cultural fears. Fears. We see this in Get Out. We see elements of this all throughout us. We see it in his other work with Keegan-Michael Key. We see it in all of his projects that he's done that he know he really understands. 
yes. society. Yes. And so because he understands it so well, we can't have a grab bag or sort of a Rorschach lot effect where it's like, what do you see? Well, whatever you see is just as valid as whatever someone else sees. Whatever you pull out of the bag is just as good of a prize as what the next person pulls mm-hmm. out. We can't have that and have it be something that's going to be a cohesive source of horror, but also something that's going to be as profound of a statement as we need it to be. Because you can't have 30 profound statements Mm -hmm. in a film. You just can't. And I needed and I wanted for that one sort of statement where I can say, you know what? I'm going to have to ponder on this for days and weeks to come. I'm going to have so many questions about what this means for my life because of what I've been watching. Exactly. So now that we've talked about all the bad, how do we go forward? How do we fix this? How would what suggestions would you offer to Jordan Peele <laughs> so that consi- I can get fired? So that you can get fired? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you could hand him your dissertation yeah. <laughs> and just be like, "Here, Peele." Yeah. Um. You know, I think for me, it would I would sort of stick to that idea of the tethered and untethered as it applies to sort of our bodies and our places, because I think that. You know, the moment we get into the, like, but what does it mean to be human? Does a human have a soul? Like, is a soul created? Are these, uh, you know, clones or are they, like, true uh, shadow people? Like, I think it just gets too complicated. I think if instead it was just sort of this idea of, like, what happens um, when our places in life be those uh, physical, like the home, or sort of more cultural, like where we fit into society, what happens to those sense of place when our bodies are destroyed by by us. Interesting. I think I might counter. Yes, and I do would, it. I would say that that is scratching the surface, and that might be one way to do it, but I think this film re- would, might require a little more deep overhaul. Because um, a lot of the problems are very systemic in the not picking. Mm-hmm. And I, so I would say remove any elements that are grounding, attempting to ground this film and force you to, as you were listing earlier, the, ask those questions like, why the red jumpsuits? Where'd they get all these scissors from? What's the deal with these rabbits, man? Anything that attempt, like, will ground it, like all the governmental aspects and things where they explicitly do these big, long exposition dumps where they say, this is the real world. All real world rules apply. Because then... If you don't bring in the real world and constantly remind your audience, they're not going to ask those questions. But because Jordan Peele keeps asking you to remember that this is real, remember that this is reality, it forces his audience to be like, well, in reality, this doesn't work. So what you're saying is is that in your view... It is possible for this film to still be a commentary on reality, but the way it needs to do it is by removing within the story world the sense of reality. The sense of reality, because for these characters, this experience is happening to them, and we will go along with these characters because it is real to them. And it can be a representation of what's happening in America, but we don't really need to constantly be reminded that it is real, and this could happen in our world, because... Let's be honest, no, it, it really couldn't. Not right now, and not with the rules that are vaguely established in this movie. You know, that's intriguing. I think I'd have to think about whether or not that would be a sufficient enough uh, fix for me. I think if it did do that, I would be okay, though, honestly, at the like final moment 
with it having so so it's been just them it's just been their friends it's just been their neighbors it's been whatever and then at the very end of the film they turn on the tv and there's like this idea that maybe it's happening elsewhere like i would be okay i think because that would to me would be a kind of compromise between what i think peel is wanting to do and the what i'm hearing societal critique of yes everything is here yes and what i'm hearing that that you would need would you be okay with that i think that would be an interesting solution to me because like one of my pro another one of like the problems that i feel is jordan peel tries to bite off more than he can chew and by trying to make it so broad and hit and affect everyone and make it a big national problem he fails to adequately address the domestic things that are actually happening within the story world. So I think, yeah, that might be that might be the way to kind of do it. Interesting. So there you go. We've now offered advice to the Academy, Academy Award, Award winner. winning guy. Um, <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> that more or less is a look at the story of us and us. Oh, um, so yeah, good. I know. So good. And we're going to shift gears in our next episode. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a little bit more happy. Ha -ha. Death Day. That's the next film we're doing. It's Happy Death Day. Excellent. So one of the things that Anthony and I very much bond over is horror comedy. It just delights us in our souls. Um, and I have met very few horror comedy films that I don't like. And so I'm mm -hmm. very excited to talk about Happy Death Day. In the meantime, be sure to give us a like, follow us on social media. All of our links are in the description below. And be sure to share us with your friends, like your real life friends. Yeah, you have them. We want them to be listeners. Yeah. So share this with them. Share it to horrify. Excellent. And delight. <laughs> and delight. Thank you so much. <laughs>